Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for the first episode for week eight of these uh, of this 2023-2024 NBA season. Uh, I'm your host, Karsten. Welcome to the show and or welcome back to the show. Whether you've been listening previously or you're brand new to the podcast, either way, we uh, we genuinely appreciate your support and uh, we thank you for tuning in. Um we're back on a Monday for week eight, but of course, we're not doing our normal Monday show. We're going to dive right into in-season tournament recap. We're going to fully close the book on the in-season tournament. Uh, of course, the tournament is over at this point, and we're getting back into, with tonight's games, a more regular season flow. Um, but I felt it would be good for us to to go a little more in-depth, holistic view, the uh, tournament game in particular, um, and uh, the future tournament, I suppose. So let's go ahead and dive right into that, and let's actually start with the tournament final and the championship game itself this last Saturday. The Lakers, as a designated home team, for more reasons than one, um, against the uh, road team, Indiana Pacers. Of course, the Lakers were the one seed in the whole of the Western Conference, uh, Western Conference groups, and the Pacers were the two seed out of the Eastern Conference groups. Uh, the one seed being the Bucks, who they dethroned in the uh, their the East semifinal matchup to make it to the championship. Meanwhile, the Lakers throttled the Pelicans to uh, to make their way to the championship. And uh, we'll take a moment real quick. Congratulations to the Los Angeles Lakers. They were victorious in this first ever in-season tournament championship game by a final score of 123 to 109. Uh, they win the NBA's first ever uh, in-season tournament championship, the first ever NBA Cup, all that good stuff. And for uh, for the most part, um, they controlled the game kind of beginning to end in a sense. I mean, they led for most all of the game. Uh, the Pacers took the first lead of the game for just a couple of minutes. Lakers then took the lead. Um, and then from, you know, mid second quarter or mid first quarter onward, um, they always had the lead, even if it was very close in the first half, got a little bit less close in the third Pacers made a small run beginning of the fourth. And then the Lakers had this huge run, um, kind of mid fourth quarter to put themselves up about 16, uh, which, you know, they were able to hold on to the, the victory in that sense. Uh, Lakers massively out rebounded the Pacers, uh, even though the Pacers were a little bit better, uh, in the, the steals category defensively, a touch better, um, more assists, less turnovers. They also shot, uh, worse from the floor, even though they were better from the three point range, Lakers shot 15% from three, but just didn't seem to matter in the game. They were able to do too many other things well to come out with the victory. Uh, let's look at box scores, starting with the uh, Indiana Pacers. They had uh, 20 points each from both their star, Tyrese Halliburton, who had 20 points and 11 assists, three turnovers. So a huge turnover mark for Halliburton, usually in the, the zero to one or two turnover range, three turnovers. Um, I'm being a little sarcastic, but still, you know, shows what the Lakers are able to do defensively limiting the Pacers. Uh, they got 20 points off the bench from their sort of sixth man, Benedict Matherin, the sophomore standout guard. You got 15 off the bench from Aaron Neesmith, uh, 13 from Obi Toppin, 10 points from Miles Turner and 10 off the bench as well for Isaiah Jackson. Uh, you know, Buddy Heald limited 
two of nine from three-point range, eight points, certainly a factor. Uh, Miles Turner with only 10 points, Bruce Brown with only four points. You know, those guys being limited, I think, was huge for the Lakers to be able to come out with the victory in this one. Um, And then you look at things for the Lakers. Anthony Davis dominated the championship game, 41 points and 20 rebounds, along with five assists and four blocks. Um, Shot about 67% from the floor. Uh, nine of 13 from the free throw line. Not much more you could ask from your, you know, the guy who's going to be the star. Um, and especially as LeBron at some point, you think whether it's in the next couple of years, or the next 20 years slows down in his play. Anthony Davis is going to be more of that star um, for the Lakers and LeBron, more of a complimentary star, but LeBron great in this game as well. 24 points, 11 rebounds, four assists and two steals. Uh, six turnovers, but still effective, uh, nearly 50% from the floor. Those two guys certainly leading the charge. However, the second leading scorer was actually Austin Reeves off the bench. 28 points for Reeves in this game, 10 of 12 from the free throw line, 60% from the floor, uh, 0 of 3 from three-point range. And again, 2 of 13 as a team, only uh, Reddish and Torian Prince hit threes, uh, one three for each of those guys. Uh, they got 13 points from D'Angelo Russell. And, uh, you know, that was it. I mean, but when you have a guy with 41 and 20 uh, dominating the rebounding battle and you can get big games from LeBron and Austin Reeves, your big three, in a sense, even though Reeves is off the bench so far this year, um, that was enough to do it. And they they got the job done against the Pacers. Credit to them. Uh, an exciting championship game. Some great moments. I mean, the, the hype was real. I, I mentioned earlier, you know, even though they were designated the home team. They could have been the home team for the whole in season tournament because of how uh, much of a Laker type of fan base, the Las Vegas area is, but regardless, it was still, you know, they earned this victory um, even with, you know, that, that tiny, if there is, you know, really much of an advantage or we think there's an advantage with the home court atmosphere, but it was a, a great game, a great win for the Lakers. And again, they come out with the first ever NBA cup, for the first ever in-season tournament. Um, From that, let's go ahead and uh, let's talk award winners. Of course, LeBron James wins your first ever in-season tournament MVP, um, edging out his teammate Anthony Davis and the Pacers' Tyrese Halliburton. Of course, we've we've set the precedent precedent with the uh, finals MVP that your winner of a a, a tournament MVP or a finals MVP, it's hard to make that person not from the winning team. The only time, of course, that's happened was the first ever finals MVP, which was awarded to Jerry West, even though the Lakers were not the winners of that final series. Um, but outside of that, I mean, he he was a very great choice for your MVP. If we look at it, the stats, especially from the, the actual knockout rounds themselves, um, let's see, that doesn't seem right. Um, in the semifinal round, uh, if this is actually getting updated, hopefully it loads. There we go. Uh, LeBron with 30 points, eight assists, five boards in that semifinal round against, um, that was the, well, the second round. Let me, let me go quarterfinal first. That's going to be a little better way to do this in the quarterfinals against the Suns, 31 points, 11 assists, eight boards, uh, five steals in that game against the Suns. Again, a little controversial ending, but they still were able to come out on top. In the semifinal against the Pelicans, 30 points, 
eight assists, five boards in only 22 minutes. Certainly impressive. And then, of course, we've heard his stat line from the championship. I'm trying to get all uh, we should have three games for LeBron if we have the full knockout round. Maybe if we just do all in the, the tournament in season tournament as a whole, which is the full seven games that LeBron would have played. Um, although it's six games. The problem is the way that the stats are set up on the NBA's page is, of course, the championship game doesn't count towards regular season statistics. So they're not counting that in the averages for the tournament, um, which makes sense, but it doesn't make it easy for me to find out his averages. Certainly looks like he was averaging, you know, close to 28, 29 points a game for the tournament. Um, and, you know, Anthony Davis was, was still very effective, probably more in, towards the 24 point, 25 point range. Um, certainly makes sense for LeBron to get it. And we'll be able to go a little more into weekly MVPs and, and things of that nature um, on tomorrow's show. But, uh, you know, it's hard to argue with LeBron being picked again. Tyrese Halliburton would have maybe been, you know, a second or third name uh, in that conversation due to what he was able to do, you know, powering the Pacers to a championship appearance and, um, you know, elevating their level of play. But uh, regardless, yeah, LeBron, congratulations. Well-deserving first ever uh, in-season tournament MVP. Uh, unique honor to be able to add to his lengthy resume uh, of NBA success. And then as far as the all-tournament team, of course, this is another aspect. Uh, five of the best players from the in-season tournament as a whole. Um, and I believe this includes the group. Yeah, player performance in both the group play and knockout rounds. Uh, so, but worth noting that all five of the players here were on teams that made the actual tournament itself and the knockout rounds. So that will maybe be a precedent set for the future. Um, unless you have someone who was just on an unbelievable tear that didn't manage to even make the tournament, but, uh, your tournament team, of course, LeBron is on there. Tyrese Halliburton and Anthony Davis, kind of your three leading MVP candidates. The other two guys, Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Milwaukee Bucks and then Kevin Durant of the Phoenix Suns. So you have one player from a uh, semifinal team and then you have a player from the, a quarterfinal team. So uh, certainly these guys well-deserving for what they were able to do, uh, powering their teams to, to victories in the group play stage along with, you know, great performances in their tournament games. Um you know, Durant, the Suns in the first couple of games or first game, at least looked like they might be at risk of not making the tournament, but then he powered that team throughout. Um, and then sort of similar Giannis, he has a little bit better supporting cast or more healthy supporting cast in some senses, but uh, yeah, all five of these guys certainly well-deserving. It's hard to think of anyone really that would have missed. I mean, we can check out the voting numbers here. Who else did not get in? I mean, Brandon Ingram for the Pelicans got a handful of votes. Jokic got a few, Darren Fox. Uh, I mean, maybe Fox would have been the next guy for me uh, and then Ingram after him. But, you know, it's really hard to argue with the uh, other guys. Uh, Giannis, AD, Halberton, and James, those four guys were all unanimous picks. Uh, Durant, the only not unanimous, and he had seven votes uh, outpacing the other guys with like four and three and such. So, um, you know, I think that was... Uh, pretty well selected all round um, and uh, certainly well deserving for those guys. So congratulations to them for that unique honor again, being on that kind of a team. So um, yeah, I mean, we can, we can look a little bit at the, the, uh, the path that both those teams took to get to the finals. Of course, the Pacers four and O in their group play 
they just had you know a seven points less in the point differentials than the Bucks that made them the second seed. Um, but I mean, they were they controlled their uh, their group play games, uh, winning against the Cavs, the the Sixers game, that second game. Um, I think that was really the one that you know was the spark. It was you know a first flicker of oh this Pacers team could be interesting to watch for in this tournament. You know, at the time they had snapped the Sixers lengthy winning streak um, just in the regular season as a whole. Uh, it was an eight game winning streak and uh, Halliburton had started to really show what he was able to 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 do for this team, powering victories. And then the road was a little easier for them in the sense that they played teams like the Hawks and the Pistons. The first of those games against the Hawks, a huge scoring affair, 157 to 152. The Pacers come out on top in Atlanta. And then they they closed the the group play at home uh, against the Pistons, who were already well into their losing streak. And, um, you know, that was they were set up well to to clinch that spot for the tournament. And then, you know, maybe if you saw the last couple of opponents and you had some doubts about whether they would be that strong of a team, will they come out firing in the quarterfinal against the uh, the Boston Celtics and are able to dethrone the Celtics, even though the Celtics were technically the lower seed, but they were seen as, of course, a stronger team. They were, you know, a pretty solid pick for top team in the NBA and still are regular season-wise, but uh, the Pacers with the home crowd atmosphere got the job done. They move on to Vegas. They dethrone the Bucks with just a pace of play and their attention to, you know, to details and recognizing when um you know the other team in the uh the uh the bucks was not paying as much attention um kind of slacking off a bit in the transitional defense game and halbert continued to be a steady force for them and uh they lose the final game you know heartbreaker but this is certainly an encouraging run. And again, I've said it before. I'm curious to see how the Pacers play will translate into the remaining, especially December, the rest of the December, if they'll be, you know, they'll maintain their winning ways and if they'll start to build on this for regular season success. You know, my concern is that they got, you know, very amped on the tournament play and that was almost uh, too much of a motivator and it will, there'll be a letdown Let's hope that's not the case, but again, a great run. Meanwhile, for the Lakers, um, it's hard to argue against them being the best team beginning to end for the whole tournament. I mean, they had the highest point differential by far of any of the teams in either conference, plus 74 in their four wins. Um, you know, they had Phoenix was really the the next best team and they were the wild card team. The Jazz had a couple nice wins, but really... <laughs> maybe a, a bit more of a lopsided group. And I don't want to take that away from the Lakers, but their last three of wins of the four games against Memphis, uh, the trailblazers, and then the jazz who they absolutely boat race the jazz winning by about uh, 32 points. So, you know, worth noting, I suppose, but I mean, this is, this comes up a lot of different times in a lot of different sports. You have to, you beat who you play. And uh, you got to win those games regardless of who's on the schedule. And uh, they got the job done easily against these teams. They were just a stronger teams and one of the strongest in the tournament, you know. And um, 
course, they punched their ticket in the first round. They faced the uh, the Phoenix Suns, that wild card team from their same group, and that was going to be the uh, the point of intrigue. You know, could they could the Suns have a chance of upsetting them? And again, touch a controversy, but the Lakers come out with the win. Um, and you know, Suns fans certainly are going to be even more frustrated that the Lakers ended up winning the tournament all round. Um, but, uh, it's just what you have to deal with sometimes. I mean, I'm, I, I'm sure there's plenty of, uh, you know, I mean, as a jazz fan, I could point to, to 98 and say, Oh, Jordan pushed off. It wasn't called. And he makes a game winning type shot. Um, but it's a close call, you know, and I think that there there's maybe a small point where you argue LeBron maybe could have called the timeout, even if it was already starting to come loose. I don't know. I, I don't want to start voting for or against the Lakers, but uh, they got the win, you know, and there was time left. There's no guarantee that the Lakers wouldn't have won, even if they had lost that ball and there was a, a layup or something else. But, um, you know, they they got the win. And I suppose that's kind of all you have to say about it or all you can say about it at this point. Um, and then almost in a statement of, you know, it's not a fluke that we got here or trying to wipe the memory of that game away. They just crushed the Pelicans in the, the first, the semifinal game in Vegas, 133 to 89 dominating the game. LeBron played about half the minutes he needed to, or, or, you know, a third of the minutes he needed to, and then gets to the championship against the Pacers. And again, I liked what the Pacers had done with the pace of play and the, you know, pushing the ball up, but the Lakers had too much uh, size and kind of athleticism and they were too invested. And LeBron had set the bar high with his level of play. Um, You know, that's another reason he was MVP, not just the statistical performance, but the, you know, he at his age and after his whole career, his intensity in these games certainly elevated the Lakers level of play as a whole, um, especially defensively. So that was really, you know, the turning point, I would say. And, uh, you know, both teams, I, I think the two best teams of the tournament ended up in the in the championship, you know, um, and that's really all you could hope for. Those two teams were uh, were dominant beginning to end. Um throughout the tournament they got to the championship and the Lakers came out on top and they were the better team than the Pacers. And that's, that's all you can say, you know, great run, great, uh, great championship game. And those guys that won awards, certainly well-deserving LeBron and, and the whole in-season tournament team, uh, I think well-deserving all around. Um, If you're looking at other statistical standouts from the in-season tournament, let's take all of the in-season tournament here. Um, I mean, De'Aaron Fox was great. Again, he could have had some votes. Uh, Embiid, even though they were two and two, had great scoring nights. I mean, all of your your stars are up in this mix. You know, they they played great in that in-season tournament um, format. And even the younger guys were still performing well. Tyrese Maxey, Jalen Brunson, Anthony Edwards. Um, I mean, Clarkson had some nice games. Alperen Shingoon, uh, Clarkson's not actually that young at this point um i mean trey young had had some good scoring and assists i mean yeah there was a lot of great performances throughout the whole in-season tournament and uh it was a lot of fun so now we kind of look towards the future maybe um as far as 
you know the the holistic view for the um for the tournament and what what it might mean for the future what the future tournament looks like um you know adam silver gave a press conference talking about some of these things and there's a ton of different points talked about from the courts to the um the incentives for the winning teams the naming of the trophy all of these different things uh starting with the courts liked the the court he he's a big advocate for the colorful courts i'm uh not as enthused um i don't absolutely hate them but i think some tweaking would definitely help and uh this is a point we didn't touch on i don't think or maybe we did in a small note um that the lakers weren't allowed to wear their black uniforms for the the in season tournament games the semifinal and the championship in Vegas, even though those were the the uniforms that the the league mandated you wear your city uniforms um for the in-season tournament games. But now we're gonna say you can't wear the uniforms. And initially what before it was announced or when it was announced, it was oh they're black uniforms that will contrast with the court. So I'm thinking, oh it's gonna be a black court. That's interesting. But it wasn't. It was a mainly red with a blue stripe court in a similar format to the other in-season tournament courts so it's like how would this have contrasted i mean i guess a dark color on a darker court but still seemed odd but what do you do i mean they they felt like they needed to make that call all of the games in vegas the teams wore either yellow or white jerseys which i think is interesting to note but um you know the point differential thing he likes that but is is ready you know can see some some fans that kind of chafed against that maybe they'll look at changing it if it's a, a continual point of contention um you know the he he asked at one point for viewers to send in suggestions how about that um that could be interesting um but of course with the the trophy as we mentioned there was talk about maybe the the cup, the NBA cup could be named in honor of David Stern. That's something that Adam Silver has been kind of looking for the NBA to do is find other ways to recognize that uh, David Stern and his impact on the game as a whole, let alone the NBA. Um, and uh, yeah, as far as incentives, of course, the 500,000 was a big thing. People have talked about maybe you, you boost that prize money. Maybe there's a automatic playoff spot. Um, a lot of players seemed kind of against that, you know, seems like that goes against the point of having a whole regular season to decide who makes the playoffs. Um, there was the thought of, well, maybe they get a guarantee, at least a play in a tournament appearance, even if they don't finish the season in the play in group, they would, they would still make the play in that even almost seems a little bit too much. Um, but then there was the idea of, Oh, what was it? There was, there was some other kind of playoff, you know, boost thing that I liked the sound of, I forget exactly what it was. I'm sure we'll have continual conversations about this um, over the next couple of weeks as we, you know, come off the tournament still, but certainly as we build up to next season, there'll be conversations about what will be included um, in that, uh, in that second ever tournament. So I don't know all around. Uh, maybe I'll just close this kind of with my opinions on, the tournament. I think it was a fun addition. I think that um, they did a pretty decent job of balancing, um, you know, balancing the i the idea and the hope of 
boosting the competitiveness of this time of the year and this time of the season, making sure games were exciting at a point where they wouldn't be quite as intrinsically exciting with not making it, you know, another championship in that sense. You know, it's it's something to compete for, to feel, you know, I think it has value as an award. I think it's worth uh, competing for, and especially with the the other incentives that were included. Um, the time frame is great, and the way it's structured in the regular season games is fantastic. Um, but I don't know if increasing the weight of the games and the championship itself is the way to do it. I think it needs to be those incentives need to be, you know, tied to the tournament itself and, you know, the kind of, um, you know, money monetary rewards or something else to that nature, I think would be the motivation for, for winning the games and winning the tournament. Excuse me. I think that's kind of what it has to come down to Um, just because again, I don't want, I I don't think fans really want this to take away from the championship. They want this to be a bonus thing that makes November basketball and early December basketball funner to watch uh, more exciting, but it can be its own thing and um, not impact the playoffs too much. I think that's kind of my viewpoint. Um, I don't think I'm alone in that viewpoint, but I, I think it's a lot of fun. I'm interested to see if they make tweaks to it. I personally would like to see different courts maybe. Um, and that kind of goes into my whole gripe with the city uniforms lately anyways, where half of them feel like very half-baked designs, um, you know, or this is the, you know, we're getting to the ideas that we weren't as excited about, but we we have such a short time frame. Um and this is going to be a weird comparison that I'm just at this moment drawing up. It's almost like Saturday Night Live. And this is going to sound kind of odd, but if those aren't those that aren't familiar with how Saturday Night Live is is written from its skits and all that kind of thing, basically from the the previous Saturday night to the next Saturday night, they have that whole week where they have to write the whole show in that week compared to other shows where obviously you're writing for for weeks and months, they have a very short time frame. They have a guest host that they have to base that the skits around. And, you know, when you're on a short time frame like that, it, your ideas kind of have to be whatever's, you know, whatever's best in that moment. Oh, that sounds kind of okay. Let's go with that. And uh, it leads to the very hit or miss nature of the show. But the, the ultimate point back to actual NBA conversation is, you know, with the city uniforms, you have a year to design it compared to if you're doing a full, you know, home and away set and alternate set redesign and rebrand, you're doing that over the process of three or four years to make sure you get the best design or what you'd hope would be the best design looking at you jazz. But um, when you have just one year and you have to come up with something that's going to be bold and it's going to sell extra jerseys on top of the normal set and that's going to be a big hit with the fans. You're trying to go for bold and you're trying to go for whatever's the best thing you can come up with in a very short time frame. And it just leads to a lot of meh uniforms, a lot of black uniforms, a lot of gray uniforms, which can look cool, but it gets overdone. Um, you know, pulling out colors that sometimes is like, oh, that's unique. And it does tie into something with the city or the, the state or the community. 
other times it's like, well, we just want to do something a bit wacky and it feels a bit, you know, hokey, I suppose. But um, I don't know that that's, a, you know, a gripe, another gripe. And that's not related to the in-season tournament as a whole. But uh, I guess bottom line, if we're going to wrap this up, uh, in-season tournament was a lot of fun. I think it surprised some people. Um, it was a constant through line of how exciting the atmosphere was and the competitive nature of the games. So I think it's certainly going to be around for another couple of years. Um, you know, we as fans should get used to it and uh, it's something to look forward to. Again, it it kind of adds a whole new way to look at November, a point where we're just kind of, you know, filling up the the record the record with games that we've we've played. We're trying to establish rotations and and get some sort of positive momentum. We're trying to figure out who the team is. Um, but now it's like, well, we're trying to compete already. We're trying to make a a tournament, an in-season tournament appearance and try and win games and win prize money. You know, I think that's that's a lot of fun, you know. And it'd be interesting to see also, of course, with expansion, a, you know, a small undertone in recent years, people wondering if there's expansion in the future to 32 teams, which would mean, you know, likely an expansion in Seattle. Of course, the Supersonics, people want to see the Supersonics back. The other team, um, it's hard to not see it being like a Las Vegas, especially with the recent eye that uh, the sport, sports world has had on Vegas with the Raiders' recent move there. Um, looks like the uh, the athletics of the MLB could be moving to Vegas. Of course, the WNBA's Las Vegas Aces have been a very great team in their league, so... Um, it's hard to not see that as the other expansion team. And if that was to happen and then season tournament is still alive and well, would they keep the games, the the tournament championship and such in Vegas, or would they uh, move it on and have maybe a rotating uh, selection of cities? Some of them NBA markets, some of them not that I think is intriguing to watch for, but uh, otherwise, you know, should be, uh, should be a lot of fun. But with that, I think I'll go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, thank you again for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you want to check out our social medias, we're on uh, Instagram and Facebook at Crossover Across Time. Pretty straightforward. On Twitter or X, whichever you prefer, we're at X Over Across Time due to the character limit on the uh, username. On all those, you can find a link tree that will take you to any of the other social media pages, but will also take you to the podcast itself where you can actually tune in. Um, of course, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and uh, Spotify, as well as rss.com. So definitely check us out. Support us in any way you can. We we greatly appreciate it. We appreciate the support you've given us at this point. Um, of course, as far as the next week, uh, the rest of this week goes, rather, um, on tomorrow's show, we'll do kind of normally what we do tonight on tonight's episode. We'll recap tonight's games since we didn't have any other games apart from what we already talked about today. Um, and then uh, we'll do our Wednesday show. Normally on Thursday, we'll have a franchise focus for the Detroit Pistons. And then we'll be back on uh, Friday, the 15th for a normal Friday show. Um, so pretty typical week otherwise, except for that bonus franchise focus on the 14th. And then, of course, the following week, we'll have a little bit of an abbreviated show uh, as we get ready for the the holiday weekend. Uh, the Christmas games, of course, are going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to the holiday season as a whole. But uh, with that, I'll quit rambling. Thank you again for tuning in. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow. 